I'm going to read to you most of Philippians chapter 1, um, and I'll add some commentary while I'm reading it here and there, but we're going to just read this portion of scripture, let it absorb into our minds, and then we'll start breaking down the meaning behind it. So, look at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. I'm gonna stop there. This is a letter by Paul to a church in Philippi and I love Paul's heart because it's just, this is kind of the heart that I've had for you guys ever since you were little, for a lot of you guys. Whenever I think of you, I thank God for you and I pray for you. I know Brooklyn does as well. Our heart is we want to see you guys do well and walk with Jesus. Look at the end of verse four. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I love that. Similarly, that's how I feel about you guys. Um, I don't look at you guys and think like, oh, why aren't you at this spiritual level? Like, why haven't you risen to like this amazing? Like, no, like I know that God is working on you guys and, and he's already doing amazing things in you guys. He's already growing you guys in so many awesome ways. And I know that he's gonna be faithful to complete the work that he began in you, just as he'll be faithful to complete the work that he began in me. Look again at the end of verse six. Just as it's right for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with affection of Jesus Christ. Paul is writing this from chains. He has been chained up for preaching the gospel, something we don't deal with these days. Like I've preached the gospel all the time and I've never been chained up for it. Paul had to deal with getting arrested, stoned, beaten. Um, sometimes he was chained up in the bottom of a ship. Sometimes he was chained up in a jail cell. Sometimes he was in house arrest. But this is a constant thing for Paul. But I love his perspective because even though he's chained up, he's writing this letter to the church basically saying, guys, it's gonna be okay because God is in control. And even in our hard times, we can have joy because Jesus, there's a better hope and future coming in the Lord. So it's a very positive letter, even in the midst of chains. Look at verse nine. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge in all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren and the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak without fear. It's awesome. He's chained up, but even though he's chained up, he's like with these palace guards, and it was pretty gnarly back then because these palace guards, it's like, think about it, you sign up for the military and you're like, I'm gonna serve my country. And then the boss is like, oh, actually you get to be, like your job is you work in the jail and you get chained to prisoners. And you're like, so basically I'm a 
prisoner, but I get paid and get to go home at the end of the day? Yeah, basically. So these prison guards were chained to the prisoners. But during that time, Paul is chained to the prisoners. Or no, Paul is a prisoner and he's chained to the guards, but all he's doing the entire time is preaching the gospel. Like the guards are like, hey, Paul, how's, how is it being a prisoner? And Paul's like, it's great because I get to be with you. <laughs> And the guard's like, that's weird. Paul's like, I know. Let's talk about Jesus. And all of these guards are getting saved. It's this amazing situation where guards and soldiers are coming to the Lord. It's fantastic. Look at verse 15. Um, so now Paul says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul's just like, you know what? Some people are preaching the gospel for their own gain. Some people are getting money out of it. Some people are like bringing their reputation out. Uh, some people are doing it for good reasons, but you know what? No matter what, the gospel is being preached and that is awesome, and I am just, that's what I'm all about. Even from jail, Paul is like, all I care about is that the word of God gets out there. People hear about Jesus, and people get saved. That's his perspective. Look at verse 19. For I know that this will turn out from my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And here's the verse we're gonna focus on today. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's Paul's perspective. He's so hardcore about Jesus that he's like, man, Jesus is life. I don't know if you guys have ever been like, man, burritos from Mrs. Tacos, it's life. Or like, you know, that new Marvel movie, Black Panther, is that the name of it? Yeah, okay, I thought I was gonna get like the, the cat wrong, like Black Lion, Black Tiger, like Black Leopard, okay, great. Yeah, some people are like, Black Leopard is life. Um, but you know what? <laughs> Did I get it wrong? What is it? Panther, yes. <laughs> Black Leopard is life. Um, that's a whole new movie. It's like a low-budget movie that got made by another studio. Um, that, that probably is real. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, there's so many things that we focus on in our life that we get obsessed over. I got a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. It's amazing. I'm just like, oh my gosh, Super Mario Odyssey is life. But you know what? None of that stuff is life. Paul has the right perspective. He looks at Jesus, and he's like, the words of Jesus are life. The gospel is life. All the things that we think are life, you know, college, career, getting married, getting a house, getting multiple cars in the garage, getting a boat, all that stuff, whatever. Like the things we look towards, we're like, that's what I want. That's what I need. That's life. No. What Paul says is to live is Christ. Like you can look at somebody who is the CEO of a multi-million dollar company, but if they don't have Jesus you know what, the janitor in that company who follows Jesus, that guy has life. Not the CEO with millions and billions in his bank account, but the one who has Jesus has life. To live is Christ. Paul is so passionate about this that he's like, man, if I were to die, that would actually be gain. Now, 
Paul is not like suicidal or anything. He's not like promoting, like, like wanting to die. Like that's not what's going on here. But what Paul is saying is if I were to die, like most people in the world would look at that as a loss. You know what I mean? And that's how we feel. When someone dies who's close to us, it's like we feel like we've lost something. But Paul has this perspective where he's like, you know what? If I were to die, if I died in this prison, or if I got stabbed to death by a Roman spear, the rest of the world would think, oh, Paul lost his life. But Paul realizes that he would actually gain his life. Because to die means that we are with Jesus. To die means that we get a fast track to the end of the story of the Bible, which is God's plan of a new heaven and a new earth, where all of this amazing redemption and renewal and restoration happens. So Paul realizes, like, hey, to live is awesome. And when the time comes for me to die, you know what? I'm not going to be sad because I am stepping through a door that is going to take me into the new world that God has always promised and planned for me. Paul has this amazing perspective. Whether he's living or dying, everything's great because of Christ. He can be in a jail cell, and everything is great because of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul doesn't have moments where he's bummed out. Yeah, for sure. If you read the, the stories of Paul the Apostle in the Bible, there's tons of times where he expresses his frustration or his grief about a friend dying or about his frustrations of his chains. Like, being a Christian doesn't mean that we're just happy-go-lucky all the time. We can express our frustration. But joy means that even though we're frustrated at times, we have this perspective that even through our frustrations, we can push through because we know at the end of the day, Jesus is Lord, he's coming back, and heaven is our home. So... Today, I want to talk about living with Christ. To live is Christ. How can we live in a way that reflects this? My first point for today is live fearlessly. As my friend Ben Corson says, fear no failure. I feel like that is a constant fear that we have. The world constantly puts pressure on us to succeed. From day one, kindergarten in America, like there is pressure to succeed. If you paint outside the lines with your finger paint, it's like you are not succeeding. What is wrong with you? In Ireland, uh, when I went there with my wife for two months when we were missionaries there, um, we learned about this test called the certs. It's basically the SATs for Irish and English kids. But there is so much pressure on these SATs. It's a little bit different than us in the way we do it here in the West um, or in America. But in Ireland, with the certs, it's basically this thing where there is so much pressure to succeed at these tests. If you fail, what happens is your chances of getting into a good college, your chances of getting a job, your career, like your entire future are basically destroyed if you do bad on this test. And it's very hard to retake it. It's very hard to get your life back on track. And so there is a huge amount of suicides that happen every year because of the enormous pressure of people taking these tests. And I feel like this is a pressure that we have on ourselves all the time, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to live up to the expectations of other people in our life. Maybe for you, your parents from the day you were little had a very specific vision for how your life was gonna play out. Maybe your whole life, your parents are, have been encouraging you to follow a certain path. Maybe they've been training you in a certain ability or, or sport or academic. They've been, they've been helping you along to this goal. You're gonna go to this college. You're gonna do this career. This is what your life is going to be about. Now, this doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Sometimes parents can be controlling, but some of you guys have great parents who are encouraging you towards this goal, and so there's this pressure to live up to this standard, but you know what? 
sometimes things don't work out. I was just talking to a guy recently, his whole life he was training to be this big baseball star, and then he hurt his arm. And it's like, he's like, what do I do now? I gotta go sell something I don't want. I gotta go into sales and do a sales job when I wanted to be this big baseball star. When people have this pressure to succeed in a certain area and your whole life you've been pushed in a certain area, when things don't work out, you can be devastated. But you know what? That's not the heart of God for you. The heart of God for you is to know that you have so many infinite op opportunities to walk in God's will in your life regardless of whether plans change or go the way that you and your parents always thought they would. Like, God doesn't look at you injuring yourself or flunking that test or not getting into that college and think, oh, you missed the window, now I can't use you, now you're never gonna walk in my plan for your life. No, God is always looking at us and saying, hey, I know you fell down there, but get back up, keep walking, because I have a plan that's bigger than the plan you ever dreamed of. 1 Corinthians 10.1 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. There's a freedom that comes in Christ to live for Christ and do all things for him. Keith Green had a saying. He's this guy in the 70s, big afro like I used to have when I was 15. Um, he was this musician in the 70s, and he had this song. Um, and in the song, the lyrics go, just do your best, pray that it's blessed, and Jesus takes care of the rest. And you know what? Look at the difference. The world mindset is you try, you go, you work, you do. And if you fail, life is over and there's no hope for you. But look at the contrast. Under Jesus, he says, you try, you work, you do, but before you do, you ask for my help, and then you go for it, and you do your best, and if you succeed, then praise the Lord. God helped you, and you've accomplished what he desired for you to do, but if you fail, and you fall on your face, well, here's the amazing part. If you fall on your face and fail, there's grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. God is the God of second chances. He is constantly looking at us when we drop the ball or when I, our dreams don't come true. And he is constantly extending his hand and saying, hey, I have a bright opportunity for you. You thought it was gonna go this way, but guess what? I've got something even greater for you. Maybe some of you guys grew up in environments without grace. Maybe you live in a home where there's not much grace. Maybe you went to a school where there's not much grace. But if you're following Jesus, he wants you to constantly experience his grace. And I definitely need grace, because I'm a chump. Uh, I'm always making mistakes and doing stupid things. Ask my wife or my friends, um, constantly. When I was in Ireland, I, uh, we were in this sketchy little hotel. We, we basically, uh, we went, eight different towns, basically, so a different place we stayed each week. So it was like we'd stay one week, and at the end of the week, we'd pack up our suitcase and go to the next place. So we were in this town called Waterford, um, which was very interesting. It was like some parts were really pretty, and then the other parts were like kind of sketchy and seedy and weird, but like not in an American way, but like in an Irish way, um, where it's like, I don't know, is this guy gonna like stab me with a four-leaf clover? Like, what's going on? Like, it, yeah, it was weird. Anyway, um, that probably wouldn't hurt that bad. But anyway, we, I don't know what I'm talking about. We were there in this sketchy apartment, and um, we had this toaster. And so it was a weird, our apartment was weird. It was almost like it used to be an office building. So um, the door, like our kitchen looked like it used to be like a meeting room, like a boardroom. And there was, the, the door to the kitchen was like this big swinging door 
um, that closed, and there was like no window to the kitchen. It's just this, this door that closed, swung shut from the living room. And so I went in, and I was like, I'm going to make some toast. So I put in my bread, and I put in the toaster, and I was like, okay, now I'm going to go in the other room and like get on my phone for a minute. So I go in the other room, I'm sitting on my phone for like, a, like 60 seconds, and I'm like, I smell smoke. And I look, and like the entire kitchen is on fire. And I was like, oh, this is how I die in a sketchy Irish apartment building. This is awesome. So I run in, and I unplug the toaster because... Thankfully, I had a moment of common sense, but I unplugged the toaster, and then I threw a bunch of water on the toaster and just smoke, like the toaster was like, why, and it died, and then all of this smoke just completely filled our apartment, and my wife was like, why are you ruining my life, and I was like, it was the toaster, she's like, why are you doing this to me, um, she was pretty upset, um, but, and she should have been, because I set the apartment on fire, so anyway, um, I was panicking, and I was opening up all the windows, and it was just, it was really bad, and these two ladies show up who like run the apartment building and then these three men show up and they're like, everyone has like really angry faces and they're looking at me like, what did you do? Like, why, why did you set our apartment on fire? And I was like, I'm so sorry about the smoke. And I was like, I, I understand. Like if you guys like wanna like charge us a lot of money, like I, I get it, like I ruined it. And the guys with the angry faces were like, we're actually here to fix your shower. There's a leak. And I was like, oh. And then uh, the lady who was like giving me this angry look, she calls the landlord and she's like, yeah, let's get them a new toaster. Let's buy them a new toaster. It'll be awesome. Like everything's great. And I was just like, they came in. Like I think all of these people just have really angry faces naturally because they came in. They looked so mad at me. But they gave me grace. They, they didn't get mad at me and they bought me a new toaster and they didn't like charge me a bunch on Airbnb and all this stuff. And I related to God like, God, a lot of times, comes into our life and we're just sitting in our own mess. You know, everything's going wrong and we know some of it's not our fault, but a lot of it is our fault. Like, we did set that toaster on fire. We have to take the blame for it. And we're looking at our life in shambles and we're just like, oh my gosh, like, God is going to come and just destroy me. God is going to come and just wreck me because I've wrecked everything and now God's going to wreck me more. And God shows up and he's like, hey, like, I love you. I can fix this. Like, I can make this better. Like, I, I, hey, if you trust me, if you give this sin to me, if you give this mess to me, like, I can, I can fix this. I can help you, and I can make you grow. A lot of times, I feel like, I don't know if you guys have ever been in sin. Have you guys ever been in sin? Yeah, you all have. I have too. We're humans. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if, if you've ever been in sin, you know that feeling where, like, you're kind of like under the radar about it and trying to work it out on your own, but you're like really struggling with like whatever it is, pride or gossip or lust or hatred for somebody or fear or whatever. You've got this underlying sin thing. And it's like anytime someone comes to you and like starts talking about the Lord, you're like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, Jesus, no, like, please, like, leave me alone. Because you feel like when God catches up to you, you're going to be in so much trouble. It's kind of like anytime we start getting convicted, anytime we start hearing the Spirit speak, it sounds like a police siren coming and we think the cops are going to arrest us. But that siren that you're hearing in your mind when you're in sin that is actually the siren of an ambulance. You're hearing an ambulance coming towards you, not to run you over or shoot you to death or arrest you. You're hearing an ambulance that wants to heal you. When we hear that and when we feel that conviction of the Spirit, God wants to show up in our life and make us whole again. He wants to free us from all the sin that sets us back. Understand this, 
God doesn't want you to be held back from the things that he has for you in his life. God wants you to take risks for him, to try things for the kingdom, to step out of your comfort zone. I shared with some of you guys last week when you were here, most of you guys know, um, we made the announcement today. If you're here today and this is a big shock to you, I'm super sorry. Um, But my wife and I are actually gonna be moving. We're moving to Oklahoma. Um, We... uh, uh, we're praying about moving to Ireland. A lot of you guys already knew that. And we prayed about it, and we were fasting and trying to figure it out. And out of nowhere, God, sorry, Brantz, you somehow missed it. Um, let's talk later. I love you. Okay, so we, yeah, it's, it's crazy, go nuts. We uh, prayed about Ireland for a long time, went to Ireland, came back, and all of a sudden, God was like, actually, it's Oklahoma. And we were like, what on earth? Oklahoma? That's where my wife's family lives. And um, God put a burden on my heart specifically. Like, just so you guys know, my wife wasn't like, we are not going to Ireland until we go to Oklahoma. Like, that's not what she said at all. She didn't bring it up at all. Um, I went praying and fasting for a week, and God spoke to me and was like, before you even think about going overseas, you need to go spend some time with your wife's family and unplug and, like, learn what it's like to be a volunteer again and not, like, an on-staff pastor somewhere, but learn what it means to, like, volunteer again. And then God started showing us that, like, Ireland was still in the picture, and we were like, what on earth? Ireland? Like, how do we help Ireland from Oklahoma? And God showed us the way that we're going to do that is we're going to start basically a business. It's called a nonprofit. It's a business that doesn't actually make any money, (laughs) which is a great way to live. Um, And uh, yeah, and so the the plan is to have this business that basically provides free graphics and websites for churches in uh, Ireland. We have a ton of friends in Ireland right now that are starting churches, and the biggest need that they have is someone to set up websites and graphics and all this stuff for them. And in Oklahoma, there's opportunities for us to serve. There's a college group down there that needs a a college pastor, and um, we might do that for maybe a year and see what happens. So please pray for us, because this is crazy to us. Like, we love this church. We love this youth group. You guys are like my little, well, not so little anymore. You guys are like my brothers and sisters. We love you all so much, and we believe in you, and we believe that God doesn't just want us to take risks, but God wants you all to take risks. I have such hopes, like there's statistics about youth groups that like, you know, only 20% of people in a youth group actually stay Christians. You know what, forget that, that's lame. All of you guys, I have such hopes that every single one of you will go on to serve Jesus and follow him with your life and do the things that he's called you to do. Whether you work at a church or not, you're all called to serve the Lord with your life. And that brings me to my next point, which is live for his glory. Let's talk about God's will for a minute. In our Western American mentality, we think of the question, what is God's will for my life? Who's ever asked that question? What is God's will for my life? Yeah, I have asked that a ton. I've asked that a lot recently. Like, God, what is your specific will for my life? And when we think of what is God's will for our life, we think, what job will I have? What career will I get? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? What am I gonna do? What's the consistent word in that? I. Do you see it's all very self-focused? And, you know, when it came to us going to Ireland, that was a big question for us. It was like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? Like, what is our plan? Like, what is gonna happen? And God started to show us that it wasn't about us. 
It wasn't about like, you're gonna do this and here's the game plan. You're gonna go start a church and do all this stuff and it's gonna be huge. Like that wasn't what God said. All God said was, my plan is for my glory and I want you to serve me and here's the next step. It was go to this town, go to that town, go to that town, come home, hang out with the youth group, pray, 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 fast. Now Oklahoma, what's next? We don't know. I literally do not know what is next for me. I've, I never have felt so uncontrolled of my life, but I have also never had a season where I've, had, I've been forced to trust God more because it's been so easy to be here. It's easy. I love my job. I wake up every day and I'm like, am I still a youth pastor? Yes, this is awesome. I get to eat burritos and pizza with kids and play video games and talk about Jesus. It's amazing. Like, it's been, so, it's, it's been amazing. It's been so good. It's been the best job ever. And so now to be in a place where it's like, I don't have a plan. I kind of have a plan, but it's kind of half-baked. God, I need you to guide. Listen, the focus when we ask God, what is your will for my life, should not be God, how can you accentuate my life and make it better, which is honestly what we do. We've got our plans, like I'm gonna go to this school, God, help me to get into this school. We see that girl, God, I wanna marry her, help it happen, you know? We, we have our plans and we kind of think of God as like the Robin Williams genie in a bottle where it's like, you know, God comes out and he's like, hey, what can I do for you? And you know, like that's what we think of God as like this genie who like makes all our dreams come true when really, God has a plan and he has a purpose and he has things that he wants to do in and through our lives. And he's not asking, you know, you like, hey, how can I make your life better? God is saying, hey, why don't you let me make your life better by calling you into the journey that I have already mapped out for you? Why don't you let me make your life better by making your life less about you and more about loving and serving others? God is not our genie in a bottle. God calls us to step into his wishes and his dreams, which are so much better than our dreams. The focus of our life should never be about our story. It should always be about God's glory. It's true because it rhymes. Um, one time, I saw a statue, and I was like, dang, I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> but when they built that statue, they were probably thinking, you will live forever. We will construct this monument to you, and for generations, people will pass that statue and know who you are. But yeah, I see statues all the time, and I'm like, nope, no idea. All I know is that birds poop on you. That's the thing. Like, people work really hard in the world to have statues made of them. Like, I'm going to be so famous that, like, there's going to be a statue of me. And then what's your destiny? Birds poop on you every day. That's the end. All right, bye. See ya. No, just kidding. Wouldn't that be lame? Um, here's the thing. The reality is, if our life is built on building ourselves up, right? Building up our own reputation, building up, maybe some of you guys are, you know, uh, business-minded and you've already got your plan for your business that's gonna change the world and be like the next app on the app store that's gonna make you millions and you're gonna be the next Zuckerberg or, you know, there's a, there's a, it's so funny. I, I hope I don't hurt anyone's feelings right now if this is you, but there's this huge thing on Instagram right now where it's like there's all these young guys in their 20s calling themselves entrepreneurs. Um, and it's like, what do you sell? <laughs> Dreams and butterflies. Like, <laughs> there's all these guys like with the cool haircut and they're like standing in front of the private jet like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. And it's like, what do you even, like, so if you're, if you're out there and you're trying to like make your dreams come true and you wanna be remembered and you wanna be famous, that's a big thing for your generation and mine. Uh, I lived off of YouTube comments when I became a YouTuber. Uh, I said that weird. Yeah, when I became a YouTuber, yeah, it was so rad. <laughs> when I became a YouTuber, 
um, back when YouTube first came out, I got featured on the front page. It was a puppet show project called Skippy Shorts. Don't look it up. It's embarrassing. Um, but I got featured on the front page with my buddy John and uh, literally like skyrocketed to like fame back then. And, um, and we, we didn't have like millions of followers, but we had hundreds of thousands. And uh, it was awesome. Like literally posting a video and then like within five minutes, I've got a hundred comments on the video. Like people who are fans, like who literally are like craving the content that we're putting out. It was amazing. Like I was like as a, as a young kid who was like severely like depressed and like felt like a loser in high school and felt like no one cared about me and just like was starved for attention. This whole YouTube thing, oh my gosh, I thought it was the ticket. I was like, every time I posted the video, it was like, this feels good, this is amazing, affirmation, people like me. But in the end, it didn't really mean anything for God's kingdom. In the end, it was like, what was it even for? It was awesome, it was fun, but in the end, I realized that I can't live off of YouTube comments. I can't live off of likes. And that's the thing, at the end of the day, you can become a famous person in 2018, but if we get to the year 3000, no one's gonna remember who you are, right? I don't know who the musicians of the 20s were. I don't know who the famous people of the 1800s are. Like those people were really famous movie stars, they're forgotten now. A few people survive. There's a few people who slip through and their names get remembered. But if you go back to the days of the Greeks, like the most famous people back then, most of us don't know who those people are. The, the, that's what I'm talking about with the statues. So why do we live to build up these monuments to ourselves when in the end, the only name that will last forever is Christ? That's a name we can work to build. That's a name we can live for. And that doesn't mean you can't be an athlete. That doesn't mean you can't be a YouTuber. That doesn't mean you can't uh, become famous. Like that, I'm not saying those things are bad. But what I am saying is they become bad when we live for them. When those things are the focus of our entire life and Jesus is somewhere else in the pie. Because you know what? God needs people who are not famous and under the radar doing amazing work for his kingdom. But you know what? God uses famous people for his kingdom. There are, there are people who, there, there's, there's some amazing YouTubers right now who are just using their platform for Jesus constantly, and I love it. It's so cool. So I'm not saying those things are bad. What I'm saying is anything can become bad if it's your, it becomes your sole focus and Jesus becomes second or third or fourth or honestly fifth sometimes. Jesus must always be the focus of our life. Let's go to the next point. The next point I have for you guys is live united. Live united. I remember visiting the Bible college in New Zealand a few years ago, and I just love these Bible college students because they were so in love with Jesus and so united about it. Like this group, it was probably about 15 students, really small campus, but it was so sweet. I remember there'd be nights where one of them would like bust out the ukulele and just start playing worship songs and everybody in the entire semester would join in and everyone was singing together. It was like these spontaneous, united, amazing moments of worshiping and serving and following Jesus together and no one was making them do it. There wasn't like the pastor who came out and was like, all right, we're gonna worship now. They just did it because they were all united and they all loved Jesus. It's the kind of stuff that happens like the last night of camp when we all get so synced up about Jesus. Man, that's how we should be living constantly, constantly. John 13, 35 says, Jesus said, 
How will they know who the disciples are? That was a question that was asked to Jesus, I'm sorry. They said, Jesus, how will they know who the disciples are? And Jesus respond, how does he respond? Does it say, you will know who the disciples are because of their doctrine? No, their faith, no, their passion, no. The answer is by their love for one another. That's how people looked at Christians and said, man, they're different. It's because it was a group of people, different races, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different social statuses, the cool people, the lame people, the rich people, the poor people, everyone in between, but they're all there united in love for one another because of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. I wanna encourage you guys to fight for unity, okay? Um, Just to be honest, when a youth pastor leaves, that is usually a lot of times in a group a part where things start to like unravel. Um, Some people are like, I don't like this new guy's teaching. I'm not gonna come anymore because church is about me. (laughs) That's what people think sometimes. Or um, yeah, just things start to fall apart sometimes. I don't wanna see that happen with you guys. You're a small youth group, but God wants you to have a big heart for one another and for him. He wants you to stand together and love one another. That means like talking to people on a Sunday morning you don't normally talk to and not just talking to like the same three people you talk to every week. Getting to know one another, encouraging one another, actually speaking out in small groups even though you're the one who like always is quiet. Like actually letting God speak through you because you realize that church isn't just about you getting poured into, it's about the Holy Spirit filling you up so then you can pour out on everyone else. Don't let stupid, petty disagreements with one another get in the way of what God wants to do. Man, I've seen some just lame stuff happen in this group over the years, just when one person gets in a fight with another person and then all of a sudden things are torn apart and it's like, well, I'm gonna go to this church and I'm taking these three friends with me and that kind of stuff is so sad when it happens. You know, what if we didn't let stupid, petty disagreements with one another separate us? What if we fought through those disagreements because we love one another to work it out and we love Jesus enough to work it out? Like, what if this youth group was always a drama-free zone? That would be amazing. Oh, and by the way, if you, if you decide to fall in love, okay? Like, I don't know if you're thinking about it, if you're planning it, like, hmm, like this year, 2018, would be a great year to fall in love. Um, maybe for some of you guys, that's like literally on the to-do list, like hanging up in your room, like, you know, 2018, clean my room, fall in love. Um, but if you decide to fall in love, really pray and ask God if that's what he wants for you. Because here's the deal, in a group like this, when people fall in love and then like people break up, it gets lame. You know, people just take their friends and go different directions. Like, I wanna encourage you guys, because you're a small group and things can happen and you know, you're all pretty cool. So like, you know, things could happen. Someone could fall in love with someone here in this group. If that does happen, like fight for unity. When I was in Bible college, I saw people start dating, like they'd meet each other and be like, oh, she cute girl, me date her. And then like two weeks later, they'd break up and it was just a disaster. So don't do that, okay? Remember, uh, we're doing the relationship series. Uh, Remember what I told you guys on Wednesday night? I wanted to date Brooklyn so badly because she was the cutest person in the world. And God was like, don't be an idiot. Wait, wait, wait. And I waited for a long time and finally dated her and it was awesome, so be patient. This is just some free advice I'm throwing in here. The next thing is live to serve, okay? Um, Can I remind you that Jesus said, he who wants to become great must become a servant of all. When I look back on when I was in Bible college, I wanted the experience to serve me. 
Maybe that's you right now. You want the experiences in your life to serve you. And if they don't serve you, you're like, I don't have a place for this, so I throw it out. When I went to Bible college, I wasn't thinking, how can I serve others? I was thinking, how can this experience serve me? I wanted an adventure and a new land. I wanted everything to be perfect for me. Um, and I wanted it to be the way I wanted. I wanted to have friends and classes and opportunities and experience. And I, I had expectations of how everything was going to play out. And if it didn't fulfill my uh, definition of fulfillment, I didn't apply it to myself. And you know what? I'll just be honest. As a Bible college student, I was so lame. I was late to every morning chapel. I was that guy, like the guy who rolls in like 20 minutes after everyone gets there, still in his pajamas, like just eyes all bleary, just like, that was me. Like I didn't put in the effort to like care. Uh, but however, little by little, God showed me that the experience was not there to serve me, but the experience was there to teach me to serve him, which is something that gives even more joy. Uh, my wife, through a similar experience, um, so she went on this missions trip during our Bible college semester. We all took a week, and we went to a different country to do missions work. So I went to the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia, and she went to Puerto Rico, Peru, Portugal, one of the Ps, Panama, um, Portugal, right? Okay, so she went to Portugal, and it was, is that right? Okay, <laughs> I thought I got it wrong. Okay, so she went to Portugal, and um, it was a weird missions trip because my missions trip, it was like we were learning these dramas and we were going out in the streets and performing and people were getting saved and, you know, the, the hot guy in the group got to play Jesus and then they were like, Aaron, you can play Satan. And I was like, you guys can all die. Um, but uh, literally, that's what happened. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. Um, but uh, yeah, Brooklyn, her mission strip was weird because she went and it was very weird. They didn't go out and do street witnessing. They didn't even really go out into the community at all. They, went, they flew all the way to Portugal and all they did was there was a pastor down there who was like, hey guys, let's, uh, let's vacuum some stuff, let's wash some dishes and then I'm gonna teach you two Bible studies a day. Sounds great, right? <laughs> um, no, it wasn't. It was like a bummer. They like came to serve the people of Portugal, but really all they did was hang out with this pastor for a week and listen to him like lecture and like wash his dishes. I don't know why this pastor had so many dishes, but apparently he did. So Brooklyn came back from that experience and was really bummed out. She was just like, oh man, like that was lame and your missions trip sounds awesome and my missions trip, we didn't do anything. But you know, I think that experience was something that God used to shape my beautiful wife, because honestly, I have not met a bigger servant than her. My wife is somebody who serves everyone around her and never asks for a thank you. And I love that about her. And I think I look back to that trip and that was something God was teaching her that sometimes we think we have these big plans. I'm gonna go here and do this great thing for God. And then you show up and God's like, here's a dish rag. It's like, what? But I was gonna be this great thing. And God's like, no, we're gonna do this. And I'm sure that Brooklyn and her friends blessed that pastor and his wife and their, their church more than they can ever know. Because sometimes God uses the small things in ways that are much bigger than we see. We need to always be willing to do the small things for the Lord. Why does Jesus want us to become servants? So we can become easier to boss around? No, he wants to make us more like him. Jesus is the ultimate example. I love the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He wasn't supposed to do that. He's the king. The king doesn't wash feet. Jesus does. He 
busts out the towel and he's like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna wash your feet. And it blew their mind because they were like, this is what a slave does. And you're our Lord and master. You're the guy who's gonna literally be the king of the universe one day. And you're washing feet. Um, I gotta tell you guys, uh, some of you boys who uh, served recently at our Thrive event and you guys were waiting tables and doing all that stuff, we got an email from this old lady who was like, I just want you to know that I saw those young men serving and it was so encouraging and the Lord blessed my heart. And <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this voice, but she was so stoked. She wrote this long email about how like amazing the youth in this church are and how you guys are servants. And you know, it's not just, I'm so proud of you guys who served at Thrive, but I see you guys all the time serving. I see you guys in the nursery. I see you guys in children's ministry. I see you guys helping your parents. I see you guys just doing the things that God has called you to do. Keep doing that. Keep serving. I hope that the, if people would ask, like, what is uh, Hope's Anchor Youth Group like? I hope that people would say they're a group of servants. Take every opportunity. Don't wait for me. I'm not going to be around for much longer. Like, don't wait for me to give you a list of things to do. You open up your heart to what God would have you do and look for opportunities and constantly be willing to serve because that is one of the main things being a Christian is all about. Here's my last point. My last point is live with trust. Just trust God with your future. So many of you right now are really struggling with questions about the future. You've got plans. You don't know if they'll come to pass. Dreams and wishes, will they come true? You've got struggles and sins, and you wonder, will I ever be free from these desires? And you wonder, will these desires ever be fulfilled? Can I just remind you guys that God is in control, and he's crazy about you, and he loves you so much. He would have died for you if you were the only person on the planet. He was the God who was not content to live without you, so he died for you. Think of that. He's a God who would rather die than live in a world without the people he loves. You know, when I was your age, I was so worried about my future. I had plans to move to Hollywood and become a film producer, and I was so nervous about those dreams coming true. And I was so worried I'd never find love. I thought I would die single in a cave. Can I just tell you guys that God is in control? And he led me away from the desire to become a movie producer and instead become a pastor, which for me personally was such a better plan, so much better than my own. If I were following my plan right now, if I were to move to LA, I probably would have ended up working as a waiter in a restaurant. And God had something so much better for me personally. Not that working in a restaurant is bad, not that moving to LA and being a movie producer is bad, but the question is what is God calling you specifically to do? I had things that I wanted to do. I have things I could have done, but God opened up my heart to what he had for me. That's the question. Now, here's the thing. God's path is always better because really at the end of the day, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The path we should go on is one where we make him famous instead of ourselves. I wanna really encourage you guys, this year, make it a year where you commit to follow Jesus with your whole heart. May, like, I, I don't, like, yeah, most of you guys here, pretty much 90% of you, like, you've said the prayer, you went to camp, you came forward to the altar, like, you prayed with your parents when you were like three years old, like me, most of you guys, like, you've been in church, you've been saved, but this year, like, make a commitment a recommitment to follow Christ with your whole heart. 
take those dreams that you're clutching and just kind of loosen up those fingers, hold out your palm and say, God, here's my dream. I've worked really hard on it since I was a baby. It's yours. If you want me to continue down this path, yeah, then show me the way. If you have something different for me, take my dream and replace it with your dream because God's dream is always so much better. Seriously, he wants the best for you and the best doesn't always mean money and boats and whatever, (laughs) but the best always means the thing that's gonna bring you the most joy. And boats are expensive, but joy is priceless. Put that on a bumper sticker. (laughs) That's like a great inspirational poster somewhere. Boats are expensive, but joy is priceless. And with that, I'm gonna end. I'm gonna call Brantz to come up. He's gonna sing a song he wrote called Boats Are Expensive, But Joy Is Priceless. (laughs) Um, Just kidding. But I'm gonna call Brantz back up. We're gonna do a song. I'm gonna go in the sanctuary. I gotta continue to announce that we're moving. Uh, So pray for me, because it's super nervous. Um, And then I'll come back here, and we'll hang out after that. So Brantz, you're gonna lead, and then Stefan's gonna break us up into small groups. Thank you guys, you're amazing. Let me pray for you really quick. Lord, I love these kids so much. I pray that you would help them to see how much living for you is something that changes our life. Help them to figure out how they can live for you right now. Not just to think, what is my future? What college? What ministry? What thing? Help them to see, God, that you have called them right now to live for them in their school, in their home, in this church. Help them to see the opportunities and doors you've opened for them. Show them the way. Help them to take their dreams, loosen their grip, and open up their heart to what you have. We love you, God, and we we give our lives to you. Now we sing because we love you. In your name, amen.